0: Welcome to Footy Time. How are we all? My name is Johnny Raff and today we've got a very special guest. It's the man who started it all, Mr. Daniel Andrews is back. Dan, how are you going?
1: Pretty good. How are you, Johnny? Good to be back and uh, yeah, keen to chat about all the goings on in the AFL. There's been plenty happening, of course.
0: Yep, yep. And we've got a hell of a round to go through, much to get into. Um, Yeah, it's, it's amazing just how even this competition seems to be
1: especially over the last two weeks i think like it seemed to be leveling out a little bit maybe the two or three weeks before that but i was thinking about it today like every one of the top four teams now has actually lost in the last two weeks i don't think that would happen too often this far into a season maybe it would but it just seemed to be striking the fact that you know anyone's beatable really
0: yeah, and I think week by week, you find that the media and the, the footy shows and that, they're very keen to grade things in absolutes, like this team's the best team uh, of the comp so far, this is the one to beat, this is uh, the dark horse, and this one's on the slide. And it's just, yeah, it can't be seen that way in you know, a week by week scenario. It's all about the long, the long game, really.
1: Yeah, I think we talked about this a bit last year as well, Johnny, just how even the competition is now. Like there's not there's not the you know two two to four real standout teams. Like it looked like Melbourne was a standout team, and m- maybe they still are. But there's a real big chasing pack behind th- them, I think. And yeah, I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit today as well.
0: You Certainly will. And we're going to kick things off with I think what was probably the game of the round on Friday night. It was the Swans and the Tigers. Fantastic game. Um, did you catch this one, then?
1: Yeah, I saw a good chunk of this one, and uh, I saw it with my dad before the game started, and we were both quite surprised that Sydney were favourites. Just taking into account Richmond's form, and you know they outlined it on Fox. Basically, you know all of Richmond's strengths were basically playing into the Swans' weaknesses, so it was going to be a tough effort for the Swans, and it kind of looked like that for a, a while that Richmond were, were right on top. But yeah, something changed in that second half, didn't it?
0: Oh, it certainly did, and well, the first first point of order I want to get to is Buddy Franklin. How good is it to see just a vintage buddy swallowing everything up, nailing him from fifty out? It really kept him in the game, and he was just—he couldn't miss.
1: He really seems to have like this steely resolve this year, especially in front of goal. I don't know what his accuracy is, but he never really looks like missing these days.
0: Oh, for sure, and uh, that definitely kept the Swans in the game. They had six straight goals in the last quarter from 10 inside 50 so you're going to yeah you're going to do a fair bit of damage with those numbers um one question i got for you dan they had i think it's josh gipkis on him for the first three quarters and he was doing a good job in that first half but when buddy was getting on top he did sort of seem a little bit out of his depth getting caught behind in there do you think that they should have maybe shifted someone else onto him a bit sooner i know that Robbie Tarrant was brought to the club for jobs like this. Do you reckon you can leave a youngster on a play like Buddy too long?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a big ask. I just don't know whether Tarrant would have done much better. He's been a bit, you know, here and there this year. So, you know, it probably wouldn't, wouldn't have been a bad thing to try something different when Franklin was getting on top. But I'm not sure it would have actually changed much either at the same time. What do you reckon?
0: Yeah, I think that's that's probably fair. I don't think anything was stopping Buddy on Friday. And, you know, Givkis will learn a lot from this kind of game as well. And he actually kicked a pretty good goal himself in that third or fourth quarter. I think it was the fourth. Um, yeah, he's going to be one for the future.
1: Yeah, I reckon the Tigers would be loving what they've been getting from him. First-round draft pick, obviously, and he's played a lot of games this season already. And, yeah, like you said, he's only going to get better. Good at reading the play. And,
0: yeah, yeah good hands oh, for sure. Absolutely. I think, yeah, they'd be very stoked to have him on board. Now, the question on everyone's lips seemed to be about that decision right at the end, or non-decision, if you want to call it. So I think it was with three seconds left, there was a boundary throw in, and I believe it was Chad Warner was holding on to Dion Prestia. Well, I actually thought this was a little bit of a dicey call late in the game to pay that a hold, but they did. And then I believe two seconds later the siren went and Chad Warner booted the ball into the stand. Uh, he, You know, it seems like he didn't hear the whistle and the debate was whether this free kick should have had a 50-minute penalty attached to the end of it. What was your take on how this all went down, Dan? <laughs>
1: <laughs> these sorts of things seem like they can only happen in the AFL. All these, like, complexities just going into, yep. like, the last – second or two. <laughs> and like it was a it was a very experienced umpire on the scene. Matt Stevick. I actually had a bit of a quick look back at this before we jumped on. And from what I could tell, the siren had gone before uh the Sydney player, was it Warner, kicked it or maybe it was someone else. But this the Siren had actually gone.
0: I believe the siren had gone. Uh but I think there was at least a second or two between the whistle going and Warner kicking it. Yeah. So everyone's yeah. trying to jump in and Yeah. So yeah.
1: I guess like it it is you put it you're asking a lot of the player in my yeah. eyes you're asking a lot of the player in that circumstance. So like the the timing between you know the awarding of the free kick, the uh the blowing of the siren and then you know, the blowing of the whistle, all that happens, you know, extremely quickly. So I think the players may be within their rights to think that, you know, because the, blo- the umpire blows their whistle at the end of the game. Like it's yeah. it's almost so close in sync that you could argue that the player, you know, just thought that was the end of the game. And that that's why he keeps it away, right? Because he thought it was the end yeah, of the game. So absolutely. And I think, celebration. I think that maybe that was what the umpire, you know, thought, you know, in terms of just giving him the benefit of the doubt. So... You know, by the letter of the law, it probably should have been paid. But, like, I think the fact that the siren had gone, I can see that as a bit of a get-out clause here. And I'm, I'm not unhappy with the way it was paid. How did you see it, Johnny?
0: Uh, well, I also think I was happy with the non-50 call for the game and I guess the common sense approach they've been um, talking about. Uh as I said, I thought it was a little bit of a dicey free kick to mm. begin with, but nonetheless, it was paid a free kick, and they paid it. But I just think that in the last few seconds of a game, and I, one thing I was hearing from a lot of people was, if that happened anywhere else on the ground or any time of the game, that would have been a 50, and look, it probably would have. But this wasn't any other time of the game. This is yeah. like right when the siren's about to go and, and ha- had gone. And I just think that in that moment, I know that, Warner hadn't maybe hadn't heard it. That's what I felt. This is a lot of adrenaline, and you know, it's just a bit much to expect yeah. these players to process all of that in a short space of time. I think you got to so. look at
1: why Warner kicked it. Why did he kick it? He kicked it because yep. he thought the game was over. Yep. So, yep. I think it's like you could be extremely harsh on him and say, you know, you shouldn't have done that. But you know, that's a pretty common thing for players to do—to kick the ball away when the game's yep. over. So. That's what the umpire said. It was common sense to not pay it. And I'm happy to go with that. Like, yes, like if you're being an absolute stickler, probably should have been paid, but, and it it probably ends in a draw if he, if he pays it. That maybe it wouldn't have been a bad result either. But yeah, like I think if we can have like a little bit more of this common sense, you know, uh, sprinkled through the AFL, it would be, it'd be nice. So
0: (laughs) yeah. Like, I want to go back to that thing you said about how this could only happen in the <laughs> AFL. It's it's true. It is true I mean, at the end of the day because we've put so many layers and layers and layers onto the rules and how things happen. I mean, you could point out about three things that could have happened in that moment. Uh, you could have even said that uh, the Richmond players like Jack Rewalt that were coming up with their arms up, you could have said that that's descent and they could reverse <laughs> the free kick. They, they were just, they've made it into such a complicated thing. it it's meant to be one of the best moments when a team gets up in a great game like that, but there just had to be some kind of complication to mar the, yeah, you know, yeah. event. And uh, BT's commentary—he seems very, very, um, you know, steadfast that it should have been a fifty, and a lot of people say that it shouldn't have mattered that he didn't hear it. And I don't know. I just think that that's. It's made it more about the officiating again. The yeah, game's supposed yeah. to be about the execution of players and the brilliance. And we've just made the umpiring the focal point.
1: Yeah, it is a shame that it's the umpiring up in lights every week, really. It's a very hard job. we all, we know that. And, uh, you know, I think just the way things are going. It just doesn't seem to be getting any better. We've had a couple of games. Um, there may have been even more, like where we've had sixty plus free kicks paid, and then you get people saying that you know, you know, a lot of free kicks in a game doesn't you know interfere with the quality, and maybe that's right because both of those were you know free flowing, high scoring games. So I don't know. There's just a lot of you know disenchantment with the way the games being umpired, and you know even just knowing. What the rules are and how they're being interpreted, it seems like it's as much of a struggle as it's ever been.
0: Yeah, I was saying this to a few people the other day that I've never seen a time in the game where so many free kicks have been paid where I have no idea what's happening. Um, it's usually in the past you'd see free kicks paid for contact based incidents where it's too high or it's a you know, even a dangerous tackle. I kind of, yeah, fair enough, but. We're seeing if you go to a game where you're watching on TV, you see no contact and then a whistle goes and it's probably for dissent or it's probably for, yeah, not returning the ball or just unsportsmanlike stuff. But it's very hard to um, to follow what's happening.
1: Yeah, especially if you're at the game. Uh, one thing I did notice in, that, in the Melbourne game on the weekend, it was a very low free kick games. I, I checked it in the first half, maybe it evened out a bit in the second half. But to me, it looked like, you know, they will paying the ones that were there that were obvious and if not, it was being let go and you just get this huge variation from game to game and, you know, all games are different so it's I don't think we can expect it to just be the same in all games but it would be nice if we could just, you know, rein it in where (laughs) there was a bit more of an Mm. expectation around how things were going to work rather than this just real lack of any clarity at all, really.
0: Yeah, and Look, I was, I've always been that kind of person where I don't like to pay attention to umpiring and it's not about that. And even if there are some decisions that don't go your way, I'd never like to blame it if Melbourne loses or whatever, but uh, still people think like that, where it's, um, you know, I'm getting sick of the focus being on the umpires, but it's almost impossible to ignore now. It's always, yeah, yeah. it's in every play, really, some kind of... Way that it's being interpreted, or what they've been told. I mean, even I talked about the um, the Ed Langdon, the tackle on him last week, and I felt like there was confusion with the rules there. It's yeah, it's got to be stripped back at some point, I think.
1: One of the biggest things I've been noticing in like the first half of the year is the increased willingness to pay free kicks to forwards. So we don't have to talk about this for that long because I think you might have already covered it, but you, you know, just the the tiniest bit of you know either, either over the shoulder a little bit of arm around, a little bit of jumper. Mm. Like, even if it's just like the tiniest thing, like it's getting paid now. And I'm not necessarily saying there's anything wrong with that, but what do you think that has something to do with the AFL's want to actually increase scoring? Because the number of free kicks that are turning into scores, namely goals, is just through the roof this year.
0: Yeah. I do think there's something in that and it might be completely wrong, but I do feel like that the AFL at some point turned their attention to uh, free kicks over stoppages. So if you can get a free kick and keep the game going yeah. um, and pot- increase the the possibility of scoring, then they would lean towards that. Then, yeah, I guess a, a nil-all draw. So I don't know. It's just a gut feeling, but I don't know. I do feel like that is the case, especially with these rules that have been geared towards forwards. So,
1: Yeah. I don't yes. think, like, philosophically, I don't think there's anything wrong with paying a lot of free kicks. It, I guess just the more free kicks you're actually paying, the more chances you are having there to be either, you know, mistakes or just, you know, differences in, in interpretation. I think more people, maybe this is a bit of a generalisation, but, you know, a non-free kick is usually less uh, of an issue for people or, you know, people aren't going to arc up as much about a non-free kick than a free mm. kick.
0: Yeah, well, I definitely certainly agree with that. Yeah, um, but enough of the umpiring. We're going to <laughs> we move had, on. We did
1: plenty of umpire <laughs> content there, so I think we filled your quota there for a while. Uh,
0: <laughs> that's the quota. But uh, we'll move on to the next topic. Uh, it's a big one. It's Melbourne's seventeen-game winning streak coming to an end. And mm. we'll spend a little bit of time on this one too, because I think it's probably the win of the season. We're going to talk about how the D's were beaten. Uh, does the B word blueprint come up here on, on how to beat us? Uh, what first thing uh, knee jerk reaction, Dan? Was this more a case of Frio executing brilliantly, uh, or Melbourne having a, a bad day at the office, uh, or both? Uh, what were your instant thoughts?
1: I was really impressed with Frio, and I'm not the type of supporter who can't appreciate you know when the opposition's playing well against you, especially now that we've had a bit of success. During this like 10 win stretch, I don't want to sound too arrogant, but I've actually enjoyed it when the opposition has actually challenged Melbourne and may put a little bit of jeopardy in there. So while my dad on the couch was getting pretty irate with, you know, Freo doing so well and, you know, getting some good goals to their small forwards, I was actually really impressed with what they were doing in terms of, you know, their clearance dominance, the contested marking, uh, getting guys out into space with some speed and skill. I was super impressed. So I think there was a combination of factors here. And I think... I've been watching a fair bit of NBA right recently and th- yep. there's a lot of one-off things that happen in games that just don't repeat. And I, yep. th- this looks like the car- the carbon copy of a game that you wouldn't expect to repeat. <laughs> like not to say you can't take elements out of it, but there's just so many things that went into this game to make this set of circumstances, you know, May goes down. You don't have yep. Langdon on the wing. Uh Petty is injured, just hobbling around. Yep. Salem woke up with a virus. Uh, you know, Melbourne the could truck is banged up. Yeah. Uh, you tag Oliver out of the game, and then yep. Freeman will just explode. They're, they're very good defensively and not great offensively, but in this game, they found their mojo, marking everything, uh, using- as I was saying, you know, getting guys out into space, uh, Frederick Schultz. These guys look like world beaters, and they are good. Mm. They are good small forwards. So yep, I think yep. I don't know whether that really answers your question, but I think there's a lot of mitigating circumstances. But there's also a few things we need to take out. I don't think it's necessarily the, the blueprint, but you know, it's the old line, Melbourne are model. They bleed. So if you if you take a few things away from even a very very good team. They're going to look pretty average pretty quickly.
0: Absolutely agree with that. I have some reservations about this as well, being the blueprint. Obviously, congrats to Freo. I was very impressed with them in that second half as well. They took the game on. They got the deserved result. They showed that Melbourne are beatable. Absolutely. But there were a lot of deep dives on this game on the footy shows as they were, because this kind of story is like you know it's like Christmas for footy analysts, <laughs> uh, you know. So first crack Sunday footy show. I was watching all of them because I was just really keen to see what they'd say. And look, Frio definitely performed very well, and they co- and Longmuir coached very well. They brought some amazing pressure in the second half. Uh, but I can't help but think as well with this that you know when a team is sometimes is down. Yeah. At halftime, they were down by 24 points. And sometimes you just change things up and you, know, you throw some things in there that you might not usually do. Frio started double and triple teaming Melbourne mids, like absolutely hunting them in, in packs and that, um, forcing them into some panicking and bad decisions. Um, at the centre stoppages, you'd see sometimes he had two or three guys running straight at whoever had the ball, and they forced him into making a mistake. And it looked very impressive, especially on all these shows. They did some great editing to make it look good. But uh, <laughs> I just wonder, uh you also talked about Clary being tagged. Uh, James H did a very, very good job. But I just wonder if Frio would have done these measures or tried these at, um, tactics out if the score was level at halftime uh, and if they were right. And if, would, would they have been prepared to sacrifice Ace to do that? Because um, Clary still ended up with 36 possessions. Yeah, and- yeah. Yeah, um, Petrarca being injured, they were down a man in the middle. They were sort of – they took advantage of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but I just wonder if this would work again for Frio and any other team that would uh, try it against us because you could see this being tried out and next time Melbourne midfielders would just be playing keepings off. They'd if Three guys came at them, they'd just handball to yeah. the open man. And Yeah. yeah look, getting, we'll have to wait and see.
1: Getting absolutely smashed out of the centre in that third quarter – uh, Brody was just dominating the stoppages. And as you said, they were just, you know, smashing the Melbourne mids. Often they were getting, you know, first hand to the ball, but they just couldn't clear it. And then Fremantle were getting, you know, really clean open stoppages out the front. So I don't think that is going to happen again. In saying that, though, I do think Fremantle actually matches re- up really well against Melbourne. Yep. Even in the first half when Melbourne was on top, there were actually some really good sequences for Fremantle where they were able to stop Melbourne around the center of the ground, sort of their you know bigger uh, midfielders um, being able to basically you know get in the right spot and make it really hard for Melbourne to get through and they were stopping Melbourne a lot more in that type of play than I'd seen other teams. so um, even though I would wouldn't necessarily expect something like this to repeat, I think Fremantle probably is in the top two or three teams that would give Melbourne trouble. In a final series, for example.
0: Yeah, I think it's just one of those moments in an AFL season where everyone takes stock and there could be a bit of pivoting. So Frio's shown that Melbourne can be beatable by playing a certain way. Melbourne will learn from that and say, well, you know, when that happens, we've got to try something a little bit different. And everyone sort of just rejigs their thinking a bit and things go in another direction. So. That's yeah. It's just one of those sliding doors moments, I guess, in a season. Um, but I also noticed this in the second half, and it's the third. It's the third quarter, actually. The score sources. So from stoppage, Melbourne kicked one behind. Frio kicked four straight, and scores from turnover. Melbourne had one, one, seven, and 2 So they really just blitzed him in all those areas, and it seemed like Frio were bringing the pressure and the defensive running, but Melbourne didn't seem to want to match it, they tailed off a bit with their defensive pressure and running, yep, which is pretty yep. out of character.
1: So I think there's a few things that we can, you know, point to there. Obviously, you can't be perfect all the time, top, no. of, top of the list. They had ver- two very soft games leading into this, West Coast yes. and North, and I don't think that sets you up for a, a for a game like this that well. And then, you know, we've talked about how the midfield basically, uh, you know, They they have a very good midfield. They're they're big, they're strong, Mm. and you know Melbourne were doing well in the first half. But from with a combination of circumstances, things just sort of fell apart a little bit in that second half. So yeah, um, you know even someone like Harm's being out, like you wouldn't think on paper that has a big effect. But you know he's a good experienced player, and you know just all these little things add up. He runs hard. Yeah, all these little things add up, and you know I think Langdon is probably one of. Melbourne's most important players now, in terms of actually generating their ball movement out of defence and just, you know, yeah. the defensive running. So, you know, the structure
0: changes when Langdon's out. Yeah.
1: Well, we had to play Spargo on the wing. So, you yeah. know, like Spargo's a good player, but he's pretty, he's probably, he's really too small to be playing that role. So,
0: and Langdon tracks back a lot. Yeah. So if the defensive line is pushed up, he's usually like a sweeper yeah. half so, the time. Yeah.
1: You're right. Like Melbourne didn't put enough pressure and, uh, that's hopefully something that they will have, you know, realised and address in the coming games. Because even in their wins, the pressure hasn't been to the standard of last year. And I think that's almost by design in a way, because there's, yep. they seem to be defending deeper, in turn, basically letting the opposition get further through. But uh, surely there will come a time where they actually do want to start putting on more pressure and uh, I'll be interested to see you know if that does happen and when they want to start ramping that up what are your thoughts on that whole pressure thing cuz you know we talked a lot last year about how you know Melbourne's game style really only works if you had that manic pressure and I think they have shifted in terms of how they're playing so it's not as dependent on the pressure but at the same time it's still going to work a hell of a lot better if they do have the pressure. So where do you sit with that whole pressure, no pressure, do we need it, all this sort of stuff?
0: Yeah, I think Melbourne definitely relies on it a bit. Uh, they have shown that it doesn't have to be always on. Um, but, yeah, like the last time that I think we were really exposed with that lack of, um, I guess, running, and it was the last loss that we had, the Bulldogs game. And... Um, well, yeah, it's been impressive to see that we've got a few more strings to the bow, and we—I uh, guess the West Coast and the North games were a good example of being able to control it a bit and have uh, yeah, just cruise to the victory. But I also felt with that came a lot of um, yeah, came a few bad habits. They kind of went a little bit Hollywood sometimes and um, didn't always choose the best option. Tried to bite off a bit too much with certain kicks and. I did actually sit there at the North game last week, thinking when it was in that third quarter mm. and they were sort of challenging us a bit. It sort of felt like we'd get the job done, but I just sat there and thought, I think this team needs to lose. Yeah, like
1: that's it. Yeah. That was the other thing I thought coming out of the game. Like this is actually a, kind of a good thing that Melbourne lost because it actually allows them to sort of take stock of where they're at and realize, and they. Probably been doing this anyway, but it always comes into like starker focus with a loss, right? Like yes, you know, definitely they've been good, probably very good, but have they been great? No. Do you need to be great all year? No. Like we don't want no. them to be peaking now, but at the same time, um, yeah, I think you're right. It's probably the loss they needed to have in some ways.
0: There's no doubt. I think as a you know a, a footy department, or when you're going through the reviews, you drill down much more. After losses, than you do wins. You made it just gloss over a few things that might have happened. For instance, say in the Hawthorne game, or the the ones the last couple of weeks where we haven't been great, but we've won. I think after a loss, you really start, yeah, getting the magnifying glass out. And yeah, I think that's a, it's probably about time for Melbourne. And yeah, be interesting to see where they go from here. I'm still a bit baffled that it can hold a team to two goals at halftime and <laughs> have one of the best defensive teams in the comp and by the end of that third quarter, that team that was two goals has put on fifty odd yeah. points. So. Well,
1: yeah, we've talked yeah. about it a fair bit, but I think there's you know very clear reasons for that. You get basically decimated out of the middle, and two of your best defenders are either off the ground or you know hobbling around. Yeah. Like Fremantle obviously took advantage and did very well, but you know it's not without some mitigating circumstances.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think um, yeah, only one goal in the second half you'd want them to be uh, scrutinizing that pretty hard during the week. yeah. So I think
1: that's a good segue to something I mentioned before we jumped on just in terms of looking ahead for Melbourne because, you know, they've been talked about as this, you know, world-beating team, Melbourne by half, how far, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know about you, but that never really sat that well for me. Like there's always going to be greater challenges towards the end of the year. And, like, the way Melbourne's fixture is shaken out, Mm. You know, the first 11 games are significantly easier than the last 11 games. There's a lot of interstate trips. There's a lot of uh, uh, games against tough oppositions, basically. So, you know, it's not inconceivable from here that, you know, Melbourne doesn't actually do better than a 50-50 split unless they really, you know, do actually improve and, you know, put some of what they did last year back into focus like they've got some really tough games so yeah Yeah. like even if they only do sort of go you know five and six or whatever it is and you know even if they only bank sort of half the wins from here they'll still probably quite comfortably finish in the top four but I guess it's not really about that is it you want to finish top two but yeah just I guess just for this just for this team that people were talking about in terms of you know only losing two or three games for the season I don't Quite think Melbourne are at that level at the moment. Maybe they'll be able to, you know, raise it. And like they've been very good, obviously. But it's only going to get more difficult from here. I guess is what I wanted to say.
0: Yes, and that was actually exactly where I was going to go, Dan. Um, Things are about to get very real for Melbourne. Uh, They've got, geez this run home. They've still to face Brisbane. They've got to face Carlton, Geelong, Frio again, the Dogs again, uh, the Power again, who's found some form. Swans next week. I mean, yeah, we're going to – we if if we haven't yet, we'll see just how good this yeah. team really is. And most of those and
1: games aren't at the MCG either, so no. that makes it even harder. <laughs>
0: there's a lot of travel. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, it could go one way. Uh, it could, yeah, they could go on and, yeah, as you said, finish with two or three losses. They could, yeah, split the difference and still finish quite high. Or it could definitely – in a few weeks it could – They could go back to the pack, really. So I
1: I don't want to paint too bleak of a picture because Melbourne has been very good this year. But I just think, you know, now is the time. And maybe, like, they are probably going to still have a dip because if they they do what they did last year and, you know, do their little bit of a loading period and all that sort of stuff, then, like, you know, we're probably the next month or so is going to be pretty rough. But, uh, you know, after that, They really need to pick up their bundle, and I think it's actually probably a good thing in a lot of ways. Like you want those more challenging games leading into finals. Like it doesn't do you any good at all having a soft lead into finals. So, nope. Yeah, that that is uh, that is a good thing, but it's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be a challenging end to the season for sure.
0: Yeah, no, I I definitely think you need to be battle hardened going into finals. Uh, But yeah, at this stage, if we've set ourselves up for I don't know, three or four losses for the season, and whatever that is, 16, 17 wins. No, what is it? 18 wins. That's I'm taking that right now. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. I
1: guess, yeah, like, it could be worse than that, though. Like, even if Melbourne play well from here, I could definitely see them losing, you know,
0: five, six, five,
1: six, even yeah. maybe seven games. Like, me too. So, yeah, it's just. I guess there's probably been a bit of an air of overconfidence from the Melbourne supporters, at least you know from what Naturalist. I've listened to and yeah. you know people we talk to, like. But no doubt about you it. You know, it's. I think we'll talk about this a bit later in the context of uh, you know the wider competition, but yep. the gap that everyone thought was between Melbourne and everyone else probably isn't as big as everyone was thinking.
0: That's exactly what I was thinking. That was the next question. Are the D still far and away the best team in the land or is the difference between them and the next best teams smaller? I mean, that's pretty obvious. There isn't as much of a difference. I think they still probably are the best, but yeah, there's teams nipping on the heels. I mean, yeah, Brisbane, Carlton, and even Geelong, after seeing how they, how they go about it, yeah. and they're just always thereabouts, those that yeah. kind of team, Geelong. So yeah, there's going to be very good teams thereabouts and... Yeah, I guess it sort of leads us into the next topic. Yeah, go for it. Which is the evenness of the competition. So we just spoke about Melbourne, how they're probably you know, not as far ahead of the other teams as we think. But aside from the bottom four teams, there are teams that can still really push for a spot in the eight. I think it's looking like anyone can beat anyone on their day. Um, yeah. What was your take on this, then? Because you'd think be like Collingwood's sensational win over the Carlton yesterday. They put them to 10th and they only added the 8 on percentage. A month ago, everyone was ridiculing Gold Coast and now they've got three <laughs> wins out of the last four. Um, and, yeah, you got Freo knocking off the running premiers. Like, how even is this competition?
1: Yeah, I think it's extremely even. So, like, to the, to the extent that it's actually hard and it's been hard through this early stretch of the season to actually know who the good teams are just because, you yep. know, there is one team will jump up for a week or two and then they'll fall back down. But like looking at the ladder now, like, if you wanted to be, you know, optimistic, you can go down probably all the way to 15th, which is where Adelaide is sitting. And, yep. like, I wouldn't – from week to week, you're probably not that surprised if Adelaide knock off you know, even someone in the top four as, like, a home game. Like, I yep. think, like, any of those teams above Adelaide – Uh, You know, you've got the Giants, Hawthorne, and then the rest in there. Like, there's some real competitive teams in there. Like, obviously, they're not going to win every week, but just the variability. There's so many teams who are now ahead of the ledger on six and five. And, like, you're going to need a lot of wins to finish in the eight, I reckon, with some lowly teams right down the bottom. But, yeah, between, I would say, especially, you know, from third down, really, third down to. Hawthorne, who are 13th, you can throw a blanket over most of those teams.
0: Oh, for sure. And I would agree. I'd say aside from maybe that bottom four, any of those teams can make the eight. And um, it also speaks of um how the little improvements versus the little regressions can just make such a massive difference. I mean, Essendon made the eight last year, and now you'd almost say that the Gold Coast Suns have passed them. So Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, it's actually really exciting. As a neutral footy fan, I think it's really good to watch a, a, a neutral game of footy in every week. It's probably one of the most exciting seasons we've had for a while.
1: For sure. And, like, I suppose one other interesting thing is that, like, even though we're saying it's so even, we're not necessarily getting a lot of close games. So, like, yeah, why do you think that is? Like, why are the, you know most of the winning margins i don't have the stats on this but just off the top of my yeah. head last few weeks at least you know most wins are you know 30 plus really like once an yeah. opposition is getting on top it's really quite difficult for the other you know mob to get it back
0: that's a really good question um it did feel like that game on friday night it felt like we'd been gagging for a real <laughs> close game and we got it and it was just wow this is amazing But, yeah, looking at the other results, I mean, you know, I guess Brisbane was – I I think they were clearly the better team, but it started well. But uh, you look at the other games, it was one-sided pretty much. I mean, for most of the way. Um, It's it's a really good question, though, and there's no real reason for it because it's not like you can get a lead and drop guys back or – You know, time waste a bit. uh, Like those things are heavily like scrutinized now. Um, I guess it's just, I guess the momentum and also efficiency Mm. in front of goal is is just a really big thing at the moment, and everything you do multiplies.
1: Perhaps it has something to do with how difficult it still is to score. So, because it's hard to score, if you're the team that's getting on top, you know, you are scoring, but because the opposition is finding it really hard to score. The gap just magnifies, you know what I mean? Yeah. So once yeah. once you are that team that's on top and, you know, doing pretty well, making the scoreboard tick over, there's no guarantee that the other team is going to be ticking the scoreboard over even to, you know, a small extent.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's definitely... A really good question, and I certainly don't have the answer for it because <laughs> everything we've said in the past—how uh, you know if the opposition gets a goal, it goes back to the centre. Everything is geared to making a, a close game. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, it just seems like having that momentum and that scoring edge at a, in a game is yeah, just maybe it's just the variability, just
1: and we'll be we're due for some closer games in the next few rounds.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe that will even out. Um. I do want to bring our attention to a certain player who had a really good game for the Suns on the weekend. I don't know if you've seen much of him Dan Joel Jeffrey he was part of the assistance package from the AFL in 2019 so in 2019 after the Suns were you know, had another one of their pretty average seasons uh, the AFL allowed Gold Coast to pre-list players from their academy zone and Joel Jeffrey was one of them from the Darwin Buffaloes. I actually really like the look of this guy. He's got a good leap. His second efforts are amazing and his defensive pressure. He does. He's just a very clever forward with his little flick-ons and that. I, the question I have is, does a small forward need to have this as standard now, Dan? Like, do you need to be a multifaceted small forward? You can't just be a guy who, you know, is a goal sneak and good opportunist forward with his few, two or three possessions. Uh, is this a requirement now?
1: I think so. I think the way the game is played now, you know, people – uh, teams are playing team defences, and your forwards are part of that now. So, even if you are, you know, bobbing up, kicking two or three goals most weeks, you're probably not going to stay in the team unless you are, you know, doing the defensive actions, making sure you're putting the tackles on when you get the chance, and just having that defensive integrity. I think I don't think you can survive anymore just as an opportunist forward, and the one that springs to mind, I suppose, is you know someone like Jeff Garlett who was Melbourne's leading goal kicker a year or two, I think. But, you know, when it came to the other side of the game, he was almost non-existent. I don't know if that type of player can actually survive now.
0: Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, Yeah, the guy that sort of picks and chooses the moments when they're going to do that kind of stuff, the defensive effort. Yeah. Someone like an Isaac Rankin, who's been playing all right in the last few weeks, but I think it's guys like Joel Jeffrey that actually allow Rankin to play well. That they're doing some real hard stuff and creating some more opportunities for the other small forwards. But um, I also think about someone like Jack Higgins, who's not bad with defensive pressure, yeah, but it's probably not his as thing. Well. <laughs> um, if he wasn't having a good season, would he be in the team? <laughs> it's like, like, I don't know. It's just. It seems like you got to If you're that kind of player, you're you're riding or dying by your goal tally. So I guess
1: Higgins maybe is the exception that proves the rule a little bit because he probably still isn't. You know that archetype of player who is putting on that much pressure when the ball isn't in his area. But you know he's so good at the other side of it that he is surviving. But yeah, maybe maybe if you're a good enough team, you can carry one of these guys. But yeah, I'm not sure. He, you could argue that you know in the biggest games he might be a bit of a liability as well and I remember the game against Melbourne uh Hunt completely shut him out of the game yeah. so I yep. guess he didn't probably it was a bit of a non-factor just all over so yeah interesting to consider like you know if you are one of these guys and you're seeing everyone else you know raise their game with having these other facets to it wouldn't you want to actually you know, do a bit of that yourself. Like Join it's, in. It's it's yeah. all effort based, right? Like anyone can at least improve the amount of pressure they're putting on. So surely it's a mentality driven thing more than anything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um I guess in the in the Melbourne Freo game, that was a, a good example. I mean, they had a lot of good small forwards there, but they were they were all doing their bit. Um I don't know if um I haven't seen Lockie is it Lockie Schultz. I haven't seen him quite enough to know what he's like uh With his pressure game, he did kick four, but uh, it seemed on the weekend that, uh, you know, Frederick and Schultz, uh, uh, were there any others? Akers, I guess you'd say. They're all very good on the weekend with that pressure game. So, yeah, if you're going to have a few small fours, then, yeah, they need more doing that than not.
1: For sure. I think, yeah, one would be the absolute maximum you could carry who aren't, you know, that way inclined.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um. Now, on the subject of goals, kicking, I guess, in a way, just want to talk about the missed opportunities at the moment in front of goal. Now, just a slight uh, comparison, but on Sunday morning, I watched the Champions League final between (laughs) Liverpool and Real Madrid and unfortunately, Liverpool didn't get up, but uh, they actually did start in barnstorming fashion, had about eight attempts on goal, but didn't score, and Real Madrid ended up winning it. So you look at some of these scores in the games on the from the losing side on the weekend. So Adelaide kicked seven goals, 13 Melbourne kicked seven goals, 14 Hawthorne, seven, 12, is six, 14. It's, it's becoming very, very obvious that, that you just kick yourself out of the game. It's, and, and some of these teams are doing this repeatedly. I, I don't know why people don't see that as a, as an important thing. I mean, What can you be doing? I think people teams should look at this and say, "What gives us the best chance to kick a goal?" Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, yeah.
1: I think some of it, or a lot of it, actually has to do with the the quality of shots you're actually generating. So, yeah, like you almost need stats on actually where the shots are coming from, and you know what percentage of your you know, however you want to define it. You know, your easy, medium, or hard shots, are you actually kicking? Like, I think Melbourne's another good example of this. When a Melbourne player has a kick from, you know, more than 45 meters out, really on any type of angle, like, I don't really expect any of them to kick it because they're just not really accurate kicks from that distance. And they, they were playing against a good defensive team on the weekend, Fremantle, and they weren't giving them easy shots. So a lot of their shots were from difficult spots so uh, I suppose yeah the ones that really kill you are the ones that are the you know inside that range that I just talked about or the ones on the run that you should really be nailing when you're on too much of an angle but I suppose it it is a skill in itself as the opposition to actually make sure you're not giving up shots in dangerous spots but it's also you know do you have the forwards who can actually nail those more difficult shots and if you don't like, can you actually improve that side of things?
0: Yeah. I. It just makes you think if, yeah, if a, I guess if a forward is not, yeah, I don't have the stats either, but if a forward is just not nailing these set shots on a regular basis, it's like, are they almost a liability to the team right now? Because they might be their best chance at, at kicking goals. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just seemed, it's the one thing that can have the biggest multiplying effect. I mean, it keeps teams in games that they probably shouldn't even be in if they're yeah. kicking if they've got straight kicking and it can give a team that's winning obviously the best an unassailable lead. Yeah, I just wonder if, uh, yeah, is it purely just fatigue or is it something that needs to be worked on?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think a lot of it the misses we see at least from distance. You lose a lot of your accuracy once you're kicking from distance unless you, yep. you can cover it, you know, quite easily. And then you obviously do get the, one, the people who are missing from, you know, closer in, but it's almost like this self-fulfilling thing that, you know, once your team has actually kicked a goal or two in a quarter then every other goal after that is like that much easier and it's obviously yeah. the reverse if uh they've kicked the point so i think it is a lot about the psychology and just how you're actually playing as well because like you know if you're generating some really good turnovers then you're gonna probably be getting your shots in a lot easier spot and then it looks like your goal kicking is really good whereas yeah. i think like if you ha- have kicked like some of those scores you're talking about you know 7-15 like some of those are probably going to be you know either touched or you know rushed so yeah I think it's it's almost masking or not maybe masking but it's actually showing that you just don't have the game on your terms because you're not actually generating the right type of shots if you know what I mean to actually have a chance of being accurate enough to win the game
0: yeah and uh, yeah, it's yeah. It'd be good to know what these stats are. I guess in terms of you know, are these set shots? Are they rush behinds? Are they this? But uh, the Adelaide, Geelong, and Adelaide in particular, yeah. I just think if you're just kicking, you're a lot missing of easy shots. a lot early. Yeah, oh, uh, missing a lot of easy shots and missing them early. Yeah, there's nothing that'll flatten the mindset nah. of a team quicker than that. And yeah, you really do kick yourself out of the game. And <laughs> it's um, yeah. I always thought. Um, watching Melbourne growing up, the worst time was when we, we would do that. It was if we'd kick, I don't know, one goal, nine or whatever for a game. You just felt like, I just have no confidence if we get any set shots right now because yeah. it's contagious. I just feel. And yeah. I mean, I know we've, we've talked about this a lot, but uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, There is quite a lot of variance from team to team how good your goal kickers are at kicking, say, for anywhere between 55 and 45 if you have to kick that you know, distance, as long as you're not right on the boundary, I think the percentage chance that you have of actually nailing that shot would actually vary quite a lot from team to team depending on who your players actually are yes. who are taking the shots. For example, I noticed on the weekend that you know Freo had quite a number of forwards who were good at kicking from distance. Yep. I think Lobb nailed quite a few and there was someone yep. else as well. And Whereas tabernet, Melbourne yes. taking similar shots they uh, basically, yeah, they weren't nailing them. So, Yeah,
0: uh, and no Tom McDonald, I guess, as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. But it it would be interesting to actually have the stats on that to see which teams are actually good at nailing the more difficult shots because uh, when you're not getting the easy shots, that creates a huge swing, basically, whether you're just getting, you know, whether you've got like a 70, no, maybe not 70, Maybe you've got a you know fifty or sixty percent ch- chance of nailing that difficult shot, compared to another team that might have more of like a twenty percent chance. Over the course of a game, that can really add up if you're only getting those sort of more difficult shots.
0: It's just something that we're probably going to bring up a lot more <laughs> until it's I don't know, until it gets better. <laughs> um, lastly, then this is actually one of yours and. It's pretty simple, actually. Uh, who are the true premiership contenders for 2022? And we've got to name five, Max, don't we?
1: Yeah, yeah. So this is difficult.
0: <laughs> it is.
1: It's quite it difficult. Is. And obviously, like, you know, there's still a lot of the season to play out. We don't have to get it right. Just, it's no. just thought It just sort of was quite interesting to think about who they might be because yes. I think looking at the latter, you'd say that, it's probably quite a different picture to what we had last year at this time, obviously. So, so, yeah, just who who is at the top of the pile? Like, who would you not be surprised if they won the premiership from here? Who is leading the pack? And we talked about the evenness of the competition, and, you know, there's not a lot separating really second all the way down to – let me just quickly get this up. From second down to seventh is basically – uh Two wins and percentage. So there's, it's very even. So, yeah. Maybe I'll throw this to you first, Johnny, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, sure. Because I did have a bit of a think about it. But, uh, yeah, I'd be interested to hear your take first.
0: Yeah, this, it is really hard. And I'm sort of approaching this in, yeah, you can only name five and therefore one would have to come out for another one to come in. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think, yeah, off the bat, been really impressed with what Brisbane's done so far this year. However, last few weeks they've definitely leaked a lot of goals. So I wonder if that's something that they're going to be getting on top of soon. But I think Brisbane. I wouldn't be surprised if Brisbane were in the grand final this year. Mm-hmm. So they would definitely be number one. I think Melbourne, obviously number two. I think that they've just got the. They've got the style. They've got the. Uh, they've got a lot of uh, personnel to come back. Uh, I think they're going about it pretty well overall. So. Yep, wouldn't be surprised there. Frio have really impressed me this year. I think they've just, they're just a well drilled unit. They're very they're hard shot, to score against. <laughs> really hard, really hard <laughs> to score against. The back six is incredible. I just think that list has been put together very, it's very balanced. So the last two spots. Yeah, this is uh, where the contention is.
1: So, yep. mate, right, we don't have to spend too long on this. So I'll, I'll just confirm that. Those three are the same for me, and maybe I'll talk about my last two after yours. But uh, yeah, just for the reasons you outlined, you know, Brisbane and Melbourne are the kind of obvious ones, and then Freo have really jumped up. They don't concede much score. Uh, They have integrity all over the ground. You know, I've heard David King sort of questioning how well they you know use the ball and their offense, and uh, maybe there's a bit of room for improvement there. But you know, they're doing a lot right, so uh, I think. Especially, they've had two huge wins, you know, Melbourne and Geelong, both away. I think
0: you have yeah. to say they're in premiership contention. They got a lot. They seem to have a, a good stock of tall forwards. They've got a good stock of small forwards. Midfield's nicely balanced with experience and uh, and youth, and the back six is one of the best. And I think they're really well coached as well. So I have to have Brio yeah. in there. All but right. the Who's number four? and fifth. Yeah. Number four, uh, I think I'm. Pretty impressed with what St. Kilda's doing, and I think their style can take them there. Uh, they're probably not the mo- I wouldn't say they're as a balanced team as Frio, but they really do play to their strengths, and they know what their limitations are, but they really play to their strengths well. Uh, so I'd have St. Kilda definitely in there. I think that can cause a lot of problems. But fifth position, <laughs> I have decided to put Geelong in there, and I've bumped out Carlton. I've been very impressed with Carlton too. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I came on pretty much every week last week, bagging him out. So I'm very impressed to see how well they're doing this year, but I just don't trust their ability to keep teams to a a lower score. I I just feel like there's still a little bit of flappiness in their back line there. And they've done very well considering their injuries as well. But I do think that kind of catches up to you at some stage. I've, I would just put a bit more trust in Geelong. I, I really felt that this weekend. I thought, yeah, it's a bit silly to sleep on Geelong. So i have the cats in there. Over to you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I'll talk about Carlton briefly. So, yeah, they were probably the hardest one. Do you have them in or don't you? But, yeah, just looking back at their wins, most of the teams they're beating up on really are, not the ones, you know, right at the top of the ladder at the moment. They've had some impressive wins, but they've had these huge lapses in games where yeah. basically uh, teams are just kicking a lot of goals on them in, you know, a quarter or a half. And you just wouldn't expect them to be able to stand up, you know, in finals with some, a few liabilities in their the way they're playing. But uh, no, I've been very impressed with Carlson. They're tough. They've got some really great forwards. Uh, I think some of the small forwards are really good as well. And yep, you know me too. the defense is solidified. It's still not great, and without weedering it's going to be hard for a little it, while. But
0: it's much yeah, better, though.
1: It is it's definitely yeah. much better. So you know, I guess yeah, similar to what you said. Who do you trust more? Do you trust Carlton with their weapons, or do you trust the steadiness of Geelong, who have had some nice wins and have also struggled a little bit, but. You know, they go to quite a few games at Cadinia Park in the second half of the season. So surprise, surprise, I agree with you, Johnny. Your top five <laughs> is the same as my top five. So, you know, uh, Geelong are, you know, perennial top four finishers. Don't know where they're going to finish this year, but they're just the type of team that you don't want to play in finals, even though no. their record isn't great. Like, you know what you're going to get with Geelong, and they are – they're always going to be there or thereabouts, and I think just the flakiness of Carlton takes them down a peg from that.
0: Yeah, I, I think it does. And, I mean, what do you reckon their best win was this year? They've had some good wins. I think the Sydney one was fantastic, but they have had uh, quite a few that are over teams that aren't going to yeah, be yeah, contention. Yeah, I, I think the,
1: the Sydney one was probably the most impressive. but Yep. I guess they're just one of those teams that, you know, once they get on top in a game, they just they just look really good and it's really easy to get sort of seduced by them. But, yes. uh And then maybe, you know, the next quarter or half won't be quite as good. But, yeah, I think they've had some really solid wins. You know, they've beaten, obviously, Richmond. They've beaten the Bulldogs. So it's not like they haven't had good wins, but I guess it's just do you believe in them enough to put them in that category? And I think... They have a lot going for them, but still not quite enough, especially with all the injuries they're copping now. I think they are going to, yeah, just uh, level out maybe a little bit. They'll still win plenty of games, but I think uh, in the finals, I wouldn't be expecting them to make the prelim. So I suppose that's... uh, Kind of rules them out like any all of those other teams we mentioned. I wouldn't be surprised if any of them made the prelim, so yeah, that gives them my vote there, I suppose.
0: Yeah, and I think with Carlton, I I just feel like they're about a year off being a fully fledged contender. I think you got to go through this kind of patch where, yeah, there's a bit of flakiness and you you iron that out with more experience. Uh, I just think that, yeah, I think they'll play finals and I think they've, they've been excellent to watch, but uh, yeah, I just feel like. Yeah, yeah, I, just a yeah. bit more time.
1: Maybe we are underselling Carlton a little bit. Like, oh, they, they've oh, been—they've they, been very, very good, and like, they could make a prelim. There's nothing really stopping them. Like, if they can iron out some of these kinks, but I guess it just comes down to who you trust. And I guess even now with everything they've done, uh, we probably just don't quite trust them as much as we trust some of these other teams.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm really interested to see uh, when Carlton and St Kilda play each other. I'm very yeah, keen to see that game. game. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, and you never know how some of these other teams could perform in the second half of the season, if the Bulldogs get on a run or if Port gets on a run. Yeah, there's, there's still
1: plenty of teams there or thereabouts, yeah. so so what's impressed you most about St Kilda?
0: I just think that their system is very well tied together. I think they know when to sort of speed up, and they they really played those strings. I really like Jack Sinclair. I think he's probably the most one of the most improved players in the comp. And you know they take it on. They've got the speed that they need. They've they used to sort of I guess be a bit guilty of uh, the one paced midfield, but I feel like there's a lot more balance there now. Max King's standing up, and you know he's kicking goals, and yeah, backline's a little bit underrated too. Uh, feel like, yeah, they've, they've just got a nice plan together, I think. And, yeah, it's it's just something that I think is not easy to prepare for. Yeah. Um,
1: I think we definitely saw the seeds of this last year. Like They had some very good wins last year. And I remember yes. us talking about it, you know, did we believe in the Saints? And I guess we didn't at that point. But when they were prepared to do the hard work, even last year, they were putting out some very good performances. So I guess they've just they've raised that bottom level. They've got a few more attacking weapons. Obviously, Max King clanking a few more marks mm, yes. <laughs> helps things no end, and he's kicking a bit straighter now. So, yeah, it's all coming together for St Kilda. And, you know, in the blink of an eye, I guess, as we both just said, they're in premiership contention. Who would have thought?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, look, there's some reasonable pieces there. The other, Callum Wilkie, I think, yeah, in the defensive side of things, he's – been pretty impressive, but um, I also like the teams that are going with the two ruckman approach at the mm, moment. Yeah, and I it's really do difference. feel like yep. the Ryder and Marshall thing. I think there's a lot, there's a lot of upside to that. So, yeah, I just think that they could, they could um, throw a spanner in the works come finals time.
1: Yeah, I guess I got a bit of a reality check against Melbourne a couple of weeks ago, but uh, that's probably you know that's happened to plenty of teams. So, uh, yeah, you can't exactly judge yeah. a team on one week. They've been very good.
0: Absolutely. Well, we're just about the end. There is just one quick question I've got for you then. end. Oh, sure. Uh, yep. Who do you think the pickup of the season's been so far?
1: Oh, that's a tricky one. Did you have any uh, major thoughts on that? I Look, can't even think of it that much over the top, over the top of my head. I
0: haven't either. Um, I think absolutely Brody for frio has been yeah. a fantastic one, but I just think Tyson Stengel has really given the Geelong just a new element to their forward line. I think he's... Yeah, he's definitely playing like his life depends on it at the moment. Uh, I think he kicked 3 against the Crows. Uh Nigel Lappin apparently, uh, one of the Geelong coaching staff. He actually says he's one of the most uh, one of the smarter players at the club.
1: Okay, awesome. And
0: it's good to have that kind of forward, the instinctive forward. So yeah, I think he's going to be pretty valuable for them come the point he in.
1: Absolutely. So, yeah, it's definitely something they didn't have last year. Mm. That really, you know, smart small forward that's uber dangerous and gets into the right spot. So yeah. Yeah. Good point of difference.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think he's got 23 goals for the season as well. So yeah, hard to go past him. Hard to go past him. Well, that is the end of footy time. Thanks for joining us this week. Dan, great to have you back. Thanks for coming on.
1: No problem. Pleasure.
0: And yeah, hopefully your team does well this week. Uh, You know, for a lot of us, we're going to be hoping to bounce back, and it's um, yeah, really, it's a reality check that this is a long season. So, yeah, we'll catch you next week for some more footy time to discuss all of it. Bye for now.